0: The following sermon is by Dan Thomas, pastor and teacher at Community Church in Edwardsburg, Michigan. If you've never visited us at Community Church, we invite you to join us at 28647-US12-WEST in Edwardsburg. And now, here is Pastor Dan Thomas. I uh, probably should not say this at the very beginning, but if you get bored and you don't listen and you totally check out and you didn't pay attention to the sermon, somebody asked you what it was about, what you need to do is go back and listen to that song, Yet Not I, But Christ in Me, because that really summed it up real well. I shouldn't tell you that because now some of you just, okay, that's it then. Uh, we're done for the day. I, um, I don't have anything, you're good, Kevin, don't worry, I kind of jumped up here fast. Uh, I don't have anything real valentines Day day for you. I felt kind of bad, so I just put this slide up there to say happy Valentine's Day. No sermon on love, no sermon on marriage or anything like that. Sorry about that. Uh, oh, I was going to recommend one thing, though. My wife and I watched this last night. She was listening to uh, Focus on the Family on Friday, and there was a guy on there named, hold on a second, Ted Cunningham. And uh, he was actually a comedian? Pastor-comedian. <laughs> Good combination. Uh, but uh, And it's really just a comedy routine they did, but it was really, we listened for about 25 minutes. It was about spicing up your marriage. Uh, so this is not for you dating couples, but uh, for the married couples, 25 minutes. It really was funny and and actually real helpful, too. It was really good. I'll recommend that to you. So that's all I got for you for Valentine's Day. Uh, other than that, uh, you—you'll at least this year, some of you remember a couple years ago, I got my wife a beautiful card that I'd picked out because I loved what it said on the inside, and I neglected to catch that it said, to my husband. And... Um, <laughs> At least I did not do that this year. I got a more appropriate card, so, so we got a decent start with that. Okay, I, uh, first thing I did uh, this week in, in putting together a little slide presentation is I Googled the phrase, new and improved. And uh, this is the first thing that came up, new and improved. And I just, I, as I first looked at it, honestly, I thought to myself, you know those diamonds do look better. <laughs> we really ought to go uh, uh, change to that I didn't realize it was a joke at first Uh, but I thought about the idea sometimes when we talk about our Christian life being better that what Christ has given us the new life we have in Christ is better sometimes we're not real sure why or we're not sure sure how exactly it's supposed to be better but I want us to know that indeed our life in Jesus is to be new Uh, he gives us new life and is to be improved um, so, as we look at Hebrews chapter 8 today, and we talk about new covenant living, uh, a way of living that is definitely new and improved, you know, again, sometimes just the whole idea of, well, I was watching a sitcom uh, not too long ago, and the guy uh, said something about they were arguing, that, and she said he wasn't fun, and he said, I used to be fun, and he said, then I got married, and then he realized he was talking to his wife, so he said, and then I beca- it, it became even more fun uh, like that. But sometimes we even look at the Christian life like that. I used to be fun, but then I became a Christian. I've told you before, when I was younger, my brother used to harass me about, uh, in different conversations, he'd say, oh, Danny can't do that because he's a Baptist. Uh, kind of like no fun. Uh, kind of ir- irritating uh, it was, but uh, no fun. There's a song by Billy Joel. Some of you might know it's... Um, He says in there, I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. Have you ever heard that? Only the good die young, I think, is the song. But I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. And sometimes we kind of look at that. Well, it's just more fun not being a Christian. You know, it's almost like, boy, I'm missing the fun by following Jesus. And, uh, you know, I I really don't want to go that way. You know, I used to be a fun guy. And then I became a Christian. So, Let's, uh, let's figure out what this new covenant life really is about, okay? Let's, let's take a look into that. So we'll begin. Verse number one of chapter eight of the book of Hebrews says, now the point in what we are saying is this, okay? So he is summarizing. He's written seven chapters talking about this Jesus, this high priest. Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than the law. But now uh, let's kind of take a moment here in the middle of the book, and I'm going to kind of summarize some things here. We have such a high priest, the high priest we've been describing, one who is seated at the right hand of God, the throne in majesty in heaven, a minister in holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus, this is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, let me back up here just for a second. He is is ministering in heavenly places in the true tent. A reference to the fact that the Hebrews were used to uh, a couple different things as far as uh, where sacrifices were offered. They were used to the tabernacle, which is the portable temple that they had uh, going around when they wandered in the wilderness, which was indeed a tent. Okay, but it was portable. They'd set it up everywhere that they'd go. And then later, the temple, but they kind of saw these two places as a porthole to God, that the high priest would enter in there once a year, and it's kind of like, well, then he entered into God's presence. But other than that, it was a closed door. It was just a porthole. Well, let me explain, because I don't really think that portal picture is accurate. As we go on to the next verses, Now, if we were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to law. They serve, listen to this, a copy and a shadow of heavenly things. So the more than a portal, uh, those, the tabernacle and the temple in the Old Testament were more pictures of heavenly things. And by the way, the detail that is given, uh, for when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, see that you, that you make everything according to this pattern that is shown to you on the mountain. If you ever want to be bored, you want to go back in the book of Exodus and read through the incredible detail given for how to set up the tabernacle. Or when they're building the temple, read through the incredible detail that God gives. But it's kind of like, hey, if you have a blueprint, you're going to have the details down there. Okay, you don't want the uh, contractor looking at the blueprint going, "Uh, there's no measurement for this wall. Yeah, just kind of wing it. With that wall, you just kind of wing it. We don't need to think through it ahead. So there's a picture that God gives us in the tabernacle and in the temple, but it is just a picture, and it is a picture of what Jesus has done now in that he is our high priest in heavenly places, okay, that he is our mediator, he is our intercessor with God, he is our high priest. But as it is Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old the covenant he mediates is better or the covenant he mediates is better since and don't miss this phrase it is enacted on better promises he says the reason why the new covenant the reason why the new life that we have is better is because we got better promises and we'll dig into that in a minute in fact our sermon today in the end of chapter 8 is what we're what we're looking at is a few of these promises for if the first covenant had been faultless obviously it wasn't there would have been no occasion to look for a second wait a minute how could that first covenant be faultless didn't god come up with that i'm sorry have faults how could that be didn't god come up with that too for he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, their days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenants I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant, so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. Now, what that is telling us there is that the first covenant wasn't the problem. It was the people. <laughs> they didn't follow the covenant. Okay, so the fault wasn't in the covenant, but it was in the people, but God says, hey, what I am offering you and what the Bible is talking about is a new covenant, a new life that we can have in in him. Now, before we go a little bit further in our text, I just wanted to kind of take you on a little bit of a spiritual journey I've been on uh, through my life, really. um, um, I'm not crazy about the idea of getting old. <laughs> Some of you are like too late, man. Um, but the uh, truth is, I, I just the the whole idea. I turned. Uh, you want to know my age? I turned sixty one last week ago Friday. That really. I remember when that used to sound so old. It really doesn't anymore. But uh, but I the whole. There's so many things about getting old that uh, you know I'm not really looking forward to as as things progress and everything like that. However, there's one thing that asking the Lord for. And that is that I'll continue to grow in him spiritually. Because I look back over my 40 years of following him already, 40 years plus, and I see how much I have changed. I look at myself even when I first began to minister. And I realized that when I first started following him, I was very much an old covenant Christian. Now, here's what I mean by that, being an old covenant Christian. Basically, I thought, and stay with me on this, but I thought, you obey God, you get blessed, right? You obey God, you have blessings. You disobey God, and you're going to suffer consequences. I based it a lot, uh, Leviticus chapter 26, uh, verse number three begins with this phrase, if you walk in my statutes, obey my commandments, and do them, then I will give you rains in the season. He goes on and tells you all the other blessings. Man, you're going to have prosperity, you're going to have victory in war, you're going to have all these things like that if you do what I told you to do. But then he goes, beginning verse number 14, and he says, but if you will not listen to me and you will not keep all these commandments, if you spurn my statutes, then you're going to have the opposite. Okay, you're going to have lousy harvest. You're going to have bad rain. Uh, you're going to have disease and fever. You're going to have all these things. And I always, I kind of, not kind of, I preach that. I taught that. Okay, basically, do good, get good. Do bad, get bad. And that, that's what it is. Uh, That's how it's going to work. That's how it's going to stay. The problem with that, and I think um, we talked about this a few weeks ago, and I can't go into great detail on it again today because of time, but we did talk about it, the idea that um, if if we're looking for, okay, I did good, why did this happen? Okay, I was good. God, shouldn't I be getting all these blessings? And uh, so-and-so over there, I'm watching him, and look at the bad he's doing. Shouldn't he be getting all the cursings? Shouldn't he be getting all that? And what it ends up producing in our life is what we'll call a swivel chair theology. Okay, in case you thought my back went on, I just need to sit down all of a sudden. We'll call it a swivel, <laughs> swivel chair theology, okay? Which basically means we kind of see God looking at us, and he loves us, and he welcomes us, and everything like that, as long as we're good. But then, we misbehave. And then all of a sudden, God turns his back on us. And God doesn't want to be around me. God doesn't want to see me. God doesn't want to look at me. I disgust God because of my behavior. But then I get going, I do some good things again, and I'm back on his good side. And then I get doing some bad things again, and I'm back on his bad side. You get the idea there that God is sitting in this chair, and sometimes he's looking on me one way, and sometimes he's looking on me another way. And we kind of get that idea when we live by this old Coven as an old covenant Christian. Basically, if I'm good, and now I, I probably believe I can never lose my salvation, but I can for sure lose fellowship, okay? And I can, uh, because I've upset Him. So that was when I lived under the old covenant, and I basically, hey, no wonder you got problems in your life. You're misbehaving. No wonder you're, uh, you know, look at so and so over here. God has blessed me because He's done right. But you all know as well as I do, that doesn't always play out. You know that, don't you? Uh, we had a, <clears throat> back in that day, we took a missions trip to New England. And uh, I was the bus driver, and we put on a vacation Bible school for a little church out there that was just starting up. And we were in Methuen, New England. Uh, I'm sorry, Massachusetts. Methuen, Massachusetts. And um, I, um, one night, I think we'd been out go-karting. And uh, I pulled the bus in the gas station, filled it up with gas. In order to get around a car, I had to back up. Well, say, kids, is there anybody behind me? Of course, kids never pay any attention to you. They just... but nobody said anything, so I backed up. There was a beautiful little silver Corvette. I still remember seeing it there, uh, behind me. And uh, the little tailpipe on my bus made a nice little line right up, <laughs> right up the hood of that. And I thought, oh no, you know, why couldn't I hit a clunker, or, you know, somebody's Volkswagen. Or something like that. Like that, but uh, I, I walked into the uh, gas station. I said, "Hey, I said, I'm sorry. I just hit that Corvette behind me. Do you know who it belongs to?" And the guy standing there paying his bill said, "It's me." It just as calm as could be. I was expecting to get beat up. Uh, he said, "It's me." And I said, "I am real." He said, "Ah, that's what insurance is for." I was like, "You're my hero." Uh, I would not respond like that. But we got back on the bus, and I remember this pastor again—a young man, a young Christian said, oh, that's totally my fault. I was like, how is it his fault? But I'll I'll let him take the blame. But he said, I forgot to pray before we left. And uh, (laughs) I said, yeah, I don't think so. Uh, I don't think I backed up over that guy because you forgot to pray, and God said, that does it. If you're not praying, boom, you're scratching up a Corvette. Uh, And we kind of got into that mindset in the old covenant Christianity. Then we have another step that I think we have invited, we'll call it the the middle covenant Christianity, or we have invented, I should say, in our lives sometimes, and here's how I discovered that. I was teaching a series on the fruits of the Spirit, some of you are familiar from Galatians chapter 5, it talks about the fact that in our lives should be love, peace, joy, uh, self-control, I got four out of, that's good enough, Uh, but uh, we should, and I was going through one a week, And I was teaching on this series, and and, uh, there was an older pastor that talked to me, and he said, hey, you know, how's that going? I said, pretty good. He said, tell me about it. I said, well, it's real simple. I said, first week, you know, we talked about love and what love looks like and how you need to work on having love in your life. And the second week, I talked about, you know, joy and how you're supposed to work on having joy in your life. And I went through that. And he said, okay. He said, that's not good. He said, tell me this. Are they the fruits of the Spirit or are they the fruits of effort? I said, "Hmm." And uh, he said, because it, aren't they f- the fruit that God produces in your life? Or are you just supposed to produce them in your life? How's that go? And it got me thinking a little bit. And, and gradually, my thinking changed a little bit to the idea that I understood that I still needed to work on these things, but I needed, now I had the Holy Spirit, I would ask Him for help. But I'm still not sure that when we have all that, we are to the new covenant Christianity. I think we're making progress. And probably I lived at least 10, 15 years of my life as an old covenant Christian, maybe more than that, and then moved a little bit towards this, okay, now I understand I need the spirit in this new life in me. But it is really just in recent years, at least in the past decade, that I've been learning more and more about what it actually means to have Christ live in me, to have what that means, to have have him live Him. Live through me, so let's go on because I mentioned our text is going to have a few of the promises that this is the why th- these are the reasons why we have better life is because we have these better promises okay I remember that was back I think in verse number six now we're going to jump into uh, verse number ten here, and as we do, I want you to realize if you follow along in your text, you see that it's spaced out again. And remember, that means that they're quoting from the Old Testament. So this is something that the prophet Jeremiah actually said. He said, when you get the new covenant, here's what's going to happen. So the writer of Hebrews is quoting Jeremiah, and he says this, for this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. Again, Jeremiah is saying this back in the Old Testament. After those days, declares the Lord, he says this, I will put my laws in their minds and I will write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Okay, here's the new deal. Here's the new promise. I'm going to put my law in your heart. I'm going to put my truth in your mind. We open the service, and we're going to close with the same uh, song, but it is from the inside out. God's Looks at so the totally differences. See, see, my old covenant Christianity had me going, I got to obey. I got to do what's right. I got to work harder. I got to try harder. And God says, Wait a minute. I want to take these truths and I want to put them in your brain. I want to plant them in there. Okay? And I'm going to take these truths and I'm going to put them in your heart. Um, when I was seeing a counselor, and uh, when I went in, uh, help for me, I wasn't the counselor, I was the counselee. But I went in and uh, in talking to him, one of the questions he asked me, he said, Hey, What do you believe about the condition of your heart? And I thought I got this one. I know the Bible says that the heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? So I told him that. I said, My heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? I expected to get applause, and he kind of said, Okay, wait a minute. He said, Let me let me uh, ask you to read this scripture, and he had me open my Bible, uh, actually to the book of Ezekiel, and uh, he said, I want you to read chapter 11. Verse number 19, (laughs) I can remember this because I used to teach that all the time. Y'all remember the song from Mulan, Be True to Your Heart? Be true to your heart, you must be true to your heart. I'd always say, kids, don't be true to your heart, your heart is deceitfully wicked. And uh, I I thought I had that one down so well. And he showed me this verse, he said, why don't you you read Ezekiel chapter 11, 19 and 20. So I turned to that and it says this, I will give them one heart, a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. And, they, and here's why, that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. So God says when we come to him, when we trust him, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, he says, I want, here's what I wanna do, I wanna give you a new heart. Okay, I wanna give you a new heart. No longer this wicked heart of stone, but you're gonna have this new heart. And you say, well, in that case, Pastor, we don't even need the law anymore. Why mess with the Ten Commandments and all that other stuff like that? Wrong. Uh, We still need the law. Let me illustrate it like this a little bit. As a kid, I had one venture into uh, gardening, vegetable garden, I was probably about fifth grade, and I decided I was gonna have a vegetable garden because my friend down the street did. So I asked if I could have a little chunk of land, and it was probably about as big as this section up here in front of the chairs. It wasn't a very big one, but I went out, I bought a bunch of seed packets, you know, and I thought this is gonna be great. I dug it up, put the seeds in, and one other thing I forgot to do, you ever see how they take the little packet and they put it on a popsicle stick and put it in there, so you know what you' planted?" I didn't do that. So I just had things coming up kind of all over the place, and my mom walked out and said, "You know what, what, what you growing?" I said, "I don't remember." <laughs> she said, "What's that?" I said, "I don't know." Uh, she said, "I don't know what that is either." OK. Now, why do we still need the law? Partly, at least partly, we still need the law. There, there's more to it than this, but partly, so we know what it is that God has planted in our heart because we still have an old nature and we have a lot of other influence in our lives that speak to us lies, so that we can distinguish that it is this new heart, this new desires that God has given us. We still need the law uh, so that we hear him in that way, but this is what God has given us. He has put this in our heart, which brings us really to our first promise that we have. He has promised internal activity, okay? He has promised to change us from the inside out. And you say, well, I've been doing pretty good on my own, just trying to turn over a new leaf and do this. My question would be, really, are you? (laughs) Because I've known an awful lot of people who try to change themselves and work on that, and it really doesn't last all that long. So I think getting this, claiming this promise that God has put a new heart in me that God wants to change me, not from the outside in, not by a bunch of rules that I obey, but by placing that law in my heart so that I know what is right and I have a desire to do it. And I'm doing it. See, that is the reason, too, why if you come here to church, you do not hear a lot of, hey, you shouldn't be whatever, fill in the blank. You shouldn't be, you know, what's the old line, smoking, chewing, and going with girls who do. That's the old poem they used to have. You don't hear a lot of that because I'm kind of thinking, The changes that we have forced on us by somebody else or the changes that we force on ourselves really don't last. But the changes that come from the inside out, from this new life in Christ, that's how we want to live. And no wonder some people are miserable as a Christian because all they've heard is this. Now I can't do this. Now I can't do this. Now I can't do this. They're not living out of this new covenant, this new life that says, hey, this is how I want to live now. Next verse. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother saying, know the Lord. Okay, just to paraphrase that a little bit, he's saying, I'm not gonna sit you down and, and tell you what this looks like. I'm not gonna give you five steps of here's how to do this. Okay, in other words, this is a natural process. This isn't something you're gonna learn necessarily in school. And he said, then he says this, they shall know me from the least of them to the greatest. which They're gonna see me firsthand. The second promise that we have, not only for an internal activity, but we have the promise of an intimate relationship. He says in that last verse, verse number 11 there, he said it is from the least to the greatest. It is from the most religious to, if you want to say, the least religious. that's, That's why I want to continue to remind you that this place here is not where you must come to meet God, this church. This building or any other building, the cathedral at Notre Dame, as beautiful as it is and ornate as it is, God does not live there. You do not need moi, okay? You do not need whatever, pastor, priest, rabbi to come to God. Okay, he says there's access to all with that. And I want to stress that over and over again, because we really no matter how much I say that, I still hear things all the time, almost as if I have a special connection to God. I'm here to tell you I got nothing on you. Okay, really? That's, that's where it is. And this building, uh, trust me, is not like, oh, I just stepped into the holy presence of God. Sometimes I step in and a mouse has died in the ceiling tower, and I don't feel like I've stepped into the presence of God. It's just a building, okay? But, uh, but God invites us into his presence. He said, I'm gonna, I want you to, I'll be their God, they shall be my people. He says, they shall know me from the least of them to the greatest. Let me back up to my personal journey on this again, because when I first started on the Christian walk, I thought that the most important thing about my life was what I do. I thought my spirituality, if you want to say it like that, was measured by how much I do. Okay, how much work I do around the church, uh, how many good deeds I do and everything like that. Somebody else said, well, wait a minute, but you haven't really got a basis in Scripture. A lot of this is in how much you know. So I thought, okay, maybe it's more about how much I know, how much I know of the Word of God. That's the basis of my spirituality. So maybe it's about what I do. Maybe it's about uh, what I know. And then I thought, no, you know what? It's probably more about what I am. And I was pretty excited about that. In fact, I remember preaching that sermon. Okay, I remember, the old chapel uh, over over at uh, Grace, I I remember preaching that sermon and I said, "Uh, hey, it used to be about what I do and and then it was about what I know, but now I've learned it's about what I am. Still wrong. It's not really about what I do, what I know, what I am. It's about who he is. It really is. This life is about him and his presence and his power in my life. So my job one, if you will, around here is to help you to know him. And I know about him, yes, but far more than that, to actually know him. To be a good person, yes, but to know him, and that way, the transformation that takes place in our life is from the inside out. A couple more verses here. For I will be merciful towards their iniquities. <laughs> well, that's a good verse, isn't it? God's promise, I will be merciful towards their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. We're going to come back to that verse in a second as we look at our third promise. Let me just wrap up here the the text. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first obsolete. Okay, it's like, okay, the next iPhone has come out, and everybody runs in, get rid of the old iPhone. It's obsolete. I don't need that anymore. I saw my friend was advertising. He was getting rid of a beautiful entertainment center. You know, one of these big things, the houses, the giant box TVs? Nobody wanted it. He was like, this is valuable. I said, nobody wants it anymore. It's obsolete no more. Well, Jesus says, I got got something new. It makes the old one obsolete. For what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Let me go back to verse number 12. I will be merciful. I will remember their sins no more. The third promise that we have is indisputable Forgiveness. The Bible says that He will remember our sins no more. Now, what that means, I want to be very clear as you, as you look at the original language, is if you, if you dissect it, it means that He will remember our sins no more. Okay, and that's actually what it means. Uh, as you look at that and when you look at the forgiveness of God some of you have seen this before but throughout the Old Testament there's several things that the Bible talks about our sins one of the things it says is that God places them as far as the east is from the west you remember that idea and you could travel south and eventually you would no longer going south because you'll hit the south pole and you'll start going north and you could travel north and you'll eventually of course be going south but east is from the west never ends you can keep going east forever You can keep going west forever. So as far as the east is from the west, the Bible says he places our sins behind his back in that spot you've never seen, okay? In that spot he never sees. The Bible says he casts our sins into the depths of the ocean, okay? i always use this illustration for this. When I was a teenager, we were out on a boat, big old lake, a pontoon boat and uh, my mom was sitting there, and she had a medic alert braces, bracelet. Mom was allergic to pretty much everything, um, so she w- she valued her medic alert bracelet very highly, but she took it off for a minute to get a little sun, and she set it on the side, and my dad walked by and kicked it into the lake. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how they survived that, because she was so mad at him, but right away, and this is my dad right away, he starts taking off his shoes and everything like that, and he's going to dive into the lake, big. I mean, this is Not Lake Michigan, but a big old lake. He's going to dive in and find it. And, you know, Dad, no, Dad. You know, we're wrestling with Dad. No, I'm going to get it. Uh, There's no way you're going to get it. You're not going to find it in there. The Bible says that our sins have been cast into the depth, not of that lake, but of the sea. So let's think for a minute here about this incredible, this amazing, indisputable forgiveness of God. Forgiveness is hard, isn't it? I mean, us forgiving is hard. Uh, Frances and Jan and Janet, her friend have been reading a book called um, Forgiving When You Can't Forget. And uh, she said, hey, you might want to read a little bit of this. And uh, I picked it up yesterday and was reading a little bit. And one of the things, I was listening to this lady's story, and she, uh, her husband had cheated on her. And, and uh, she was talking about how hard it was to forgive. She talked about going into a counselor. And the counselor said, hey, I want you to write down all the ways you've been wrong on three-by-five cards and I want you to spread them out here. And then he handed her a bunch of red squares, and he said, I want you to cover up those things with the red, just as the blood of Jesus Christ covers sins. She said that was very helpful to her, because the key to us being able to forgive is us understanding the incredible forgiveness that we have been shown, and Us being able to forgive is really very much a key to our lives. Pretty much any counselor that you go to, one of the things they're going to dig into is they're going to say, hey, they're going to kind of uncover some bitterness, some anger, some lack of forgiveness in our lives. Because this is a tough thing, but it's a very painful thing that hurts us. So when we recognize, however, his incredible forgiveness, when we realize this, the sin that you can't forget is the sin that he does not even remember. We have an enemy that is often called the accuser of the brethren. The Bible calls the devil the accuser of the brethren. And he loves to bring up our past sins. He loves to. He loves to tell you God will never use you. Do you all remember the phrase? This is probably 20 years ago now or maybe 15 at least. remember the talk to the hand, the ultimate disrespect? Talk to the hand. When I was a teacher, I used to get that. And, of course, I loved it and responded beautifully. Uh, Whenever I got that, talk to the hand. I want to give you a different one. Talk to Jesus. When the voice comes up that says, hey, your sin has made you useless. Your sin, I'm going to bring it up as many times as I can because you're a waste. Talk to Jesus, would you? Talk to Jesus, the one who said he forgave me. He can't even remember my sin anymore, That I confessed it to him and it's gone. Talk to him and experiencing that forgiveness. There's a song um Rachel, you and I were talking about last week, we, we the Kingdom has a song called, uh, is it called Holy Water? But it says um, in there, it talks about your forgiveness is like, I think, sweet, sweet, honey, I'm probably killing kill the words to my lips and like holy water to my skin. But then she goes on and she sings, I don't want to abuse your grace. Lord, I need it every day. It's the only thing that makes me want to change. And I want to say that again. I don't want to abuse your grace. I need it every day. And it's the only thing that makes me want to change. You see, again, here comes that transformation from the inside out. It's not because I've got a list of things I've got to clean up in my life. It's because God has forgiven me and shown me grace. And that's the only thing that makes me want to change. Can you put those three promises together? He has promised to work in us and give us a new heart. He has promised that we can know him and walk with him. So pray. If you don't know what to pray, start with that and just continue into the conversation, dialogue with God like you'd talk to anybody else. But talk to Him, He wants to draw you close. And then this indisputable forgiveness. Listen, the difference in the new covenant is not that we don't live holy, the difference is that we have the Holy Spirit who works in and through us and lives through us. That's the difference. I'm going to ask the worship team folks to come on back up because we are going to close singing from the inside out again. If we're more familiar, I that that song. Tell me the name of that song again. Yet not, I, Yet not I, but through Christ. You might want to look that up. That's really good if you if you follow the the uh, the thinking through it. But um, <laughs> I confess, we have this thing around here. Uh, we talk about that. Our goal is to connect you with God, to each other, and to with your purpose. When we came up with that a few years ago, it was kind of like, ah, I need something. The elders told me why well, I have a, you know, theme or whatever, a philosophy, you know, purpose, everything like that. So I kind of threw that together. And I thought, oh, yeah, that sounds pretty good. The more that I have looked at that, I'm so glad that is our theme because job one for me is to help people get connected with God. First of all, if they do not know him as their savior, to preach that they We all have a need. The old law, keeping the law, being good enough, never going to work. That's what Hebrews tells us. We all need the Savior, Jesus Christ. So first of all, just to get people connected to God in that way, but then to understand that it's not about, okay, now you're saved. Here's your list. Here's the way to behave as a Christian. Here you go. Here's the things you're supposed to do. No, you have this new life in Christ that will grow. Just as I described in me, it's been growing over these years, and I learned more about this life. But to help you understand, the most important thing I can do is not to tell you how a Christian ought to behave. But the most important thing I ought to do is to tell you that there's a Savior who wants an intimate relationship with you. Because he's pushed your sins aside. He doesn't even remember them anymore. And he wants you to walk with him. Wants to get you truly connected to God. I'm sorry, I'm rambling a little bit here. But let me just say one more thing. This is such a burden on my heart. Because I know myself, I know how long it took me to stop playing the games of, okay, I'm Christian now, this is, how, this is what I got to do, and keeping up the front. And so bu- and honestly, so busy, sometimes I didn't even ever read my Bible. I didn't even talk to God. But you'd have looked at me and said, hey, pretty good Christian. Uh, maybe even a very good Christian, because I was playing by all the rules. And I was missing it. And I have loved In recent years, when I have learned more what it is like to be a new covenant Christian, to walk in these three promises that are so much better. I'm going to pray. We're going to sing from the inside out again. Uh, I want to mention to you, just as I always do, that I'm going to hang around here afterwards if you have any more questions or anything like that, especially if you're like I'm confused about this whole thing. What are you talking about in this new life in Christ? I'd love to try to answer some more questions about that. If not today, please contact me because i that's what I'm here for. I don't know how else to say it. So, Father, thank you. <laughs> what promises? And we could just take any one of those home and just be, well, wow, your forgiveness is just so amazing. But Lord, I pray for those in this room who may not have claimed those promises, who don't know those promises to be true in their life. Lord, bring us closer to that. Move us in that direction. Help us to grow even from our time here this day. Would you take your word and change us? I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to Pastor Dan Thomas of Community Church in Edwardsburg. For more information about the church, you can visit our website, edwardsburg.church. You may also contact the church via email info at edwardsburg.church or call us at 269-663-2648. Thank you for listening.